Celtics Reddit podcast presented by CelticsLife.com. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. It's been a rough week for the Celtics and their fans. They've gone two of three, including losses to the Pistons, the Wizards, and now the Hawks. The fan base is divided as to how to react, what to do, where to go from here. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. Joining us, our New Zealand correspondent, Joe, aka Nosecrows McFly. Welcome back, sir. How's things? Oh, good. Good. I seem to have kept my head below the the Reddit parapet, and I'm not getting into the. Uh, I'm not getting any feedback, so I'm pretty happy for that. <laughs> well, that, that time is about to come to an end because we've got a lot of Reddit content collated and ready to throw at you. We've also got the man, the myth, Larbird33. Welcome back, sir. How's things? Good. You should re- you should introduce me as a token American. That's that's who I am. Token on this American. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, we need one. You know, it's an American sport after all, so we're very glad to have you. <laughs> We've got sort of a Pacific Rim thing happening here, really. We we, we just need a need someone from Japan. It's and, a global um, organization. What can I say? And we'll have it sorted. Maybe someone from, I don't know, like Santiago or something like that. Boston, yeah. even? <laughs> well, that's Atlantic, so doesn't sort of work with the, the whole... The whole time zone but, thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that would actually be quite good. That would be nice. Yeah, it would be nice. So, I don't even really know where to begin with all this. Let's just start here. Let's go broad and sort of narrow it down from there. How actually worried are you about this team? Is is it time to give up hope for a decent playoff run or is there hope yet? Ah, there's there's definitely hope, right? Like, even in the 18-19 season, there was still hope, man. Like... But what we, we still- learned then was that the hope was misguided. Really, there was no hope to be had at all, and we're all fools. So it's still a talent. It's, it's still a super talented team. Like it definitely, you know, they definitely could have. I mean, they won five straight. They swept the paces, and they won the first by like thirty against the Bucks. Right? Like it's not like it was impossible for them to to do it again. There's always room for hope. I think if, if as a fan you stop hoping, honestly, that's at the point where you you generally stop being a fan. You've always got to have something to hope for, you know. And I'm not even trying to get too existential here, but like. You know, just in your in, in our fantasy little world where our team plays these little games, you still want to be able to hope that they're going to be able to do it a little better. Like that's that's why you're a long term fan. You know, what do you think, Lubbard? No, I'm not panicking. I'm not worried. Uh, the the difference to me between two seasons ago and this season is that we obviously struggled a lot two seasons ago, but it wasn't clear how we were going to get out of that. Last, you know, two seasons ago, we had Kyrie Irving, who, as much as you want to, you know, shit on him, and I want to shit on him, uh, he was still playing. As, he <laughs> Can, was still we? Playing. Can we? <laughs> he was still playing at an all NBA level, but beyond him, like there was, there was no clarity on what that roster was. There was just so many guys that you wanted to step up, but you had like Marcus Morris, who was taking opportunities from Jason Tatum. You had two of the guys that we thought were going to be all stars were relegated to our bench. So, I mean, it was, you know, Terry Rozier was sulking on the bench. It was just like this weird mix of too many guys. And it wasn't clear how you could get out of that. Like, I I remember when we were struggling at the, at the peak of our struggles, um, I I had said something to the extent of, let's just put Hayward and Brown in there and just like, for better or worse, let's see what happens. Cause I don't see us reaching our peak without these two guys contributing. And it got got a lot of pushback. People are like, "How are you going to take you know Marcus Morris out? He's been one of our better players. You know, how are you going to you know uh, minimize the role of Marcus Smart or minimize the role of Al Horford?" That was, I mean, that team. We just didn't know what, like what we could do with it. It was just, like as much as we wanted to be a, a four star team, it just wasn't. It was a one star team. And the difference with this team to me is we, at the very least, know it's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown's team. It's those two guys. Kemba, once he's healthy, is our third guy. And then, I know we've been saying it now every episode of this, but then it's just about who else, uh, who else steps up. And I feel like, you know, it's been a theme this entire, uh, entire season that we've talked about on, on this podcast is showcase season. Like, I'm not worried because all the stuff that we talked about and expected to happen is happening. We're, we're having 15 guys kind of give them minutes here and there. And we're trying to figure out what this roster is, but really eventually we're going to tighten up the ship, tighten up the rotation to eight guys. And we'll probably be a lot better once that happens. 
So, yeah, I think that makes sense. But, you know, considering all the noise online at the moment and people don't generally go online to to share praise, people go online to complain. So, you know, we're, we're hearing majority complaints from fans at the moment. When do you think this showcase period ends and when do you think we start to steer the ship towards playoff success and, and success in, in longevity in seasons going forward? Is this going to last the whole season? Is this not a team that's in any sort of deep playoff contention? Or at some point, you know, are the Celtics going to decide, okay, enough of showcasing, it's time to focus on, on winning games and hopefully winning playoff games? Well, historically, it's always been uh, the early seasons that Brad was our coach. Um, and maybe not so much the last couple, but the early seasons that he was our coach, we would always spend the first uh, half of the season just experimenting. I mean, that was always the case. We would experiment, we'd throw out lots and lots of lineups. And uh, again, this might be something we brought up in a previous podcast, but I think the guy's name is Drew Cannon. I think that's his stat guru. Uh, they brought over from from Butler. And the, the whole idea there is, I mean, the Celtics had an edge because of all the advanced stats they looked at. And they've kind of admitted that they spend that first part just throwing out lots of different lineups, experimenting, seeing who who pairs well. And then uh, in the second half of the season, they've always tightened up the ship. They've always tightened up the rotation and then used all that data that they've collected to figure out what the rotations are. And that's what I've expected all season with this team. I mean, there's so many question marks on this team. It is a very, very, very young team. And from night to night, you don't really know... Um, you know, who, who, who's going to step up, you know, Grant Williams is a good example of someone who might have a lot of potential maybe, but some nights he's getting DMPs, some nights he's getting minutes. Uh, Aaron Neesmith, the last few games has finally started getting minutes and there's like, you know, Semi is making leaps, uh, you know, he's making progress in his, in his progress, you know, um, in his ability, but it just across the board, everyone on the team it's kind of just like, let's see what they do. Let's see how they pair. And then let's figure out, um, at least mid season, um, you know, are we going to keep these guys or are we going to make a trade? And I really do think, you know, I, I keep hearing people say that, you know, Danny for years has not made a trade at the trade deadline. I think this of any year, this is a year he probably will. I mean, I think we're just looking at what we have and I more than likely think that we're going to end up making some kind of move. It might not be a big one, but, um, there's probably going to be a move. And I really do think that as much as we want to like trash Brad for his lineups right now, we have to experiment. We have to see what these guys are. We have to do our due diligence and at least give the team an opportunity to to explore all their options at the trade deadline, which is like a month away. I, ben, I feel like um, I feel like I've had this yarn maybe two years ago, but have we had like a hopes versus expectations yarn? Uh, I feel, I like, feel like we have some form of that almost yeah. every week. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I just want to throw it back at you a little bit. So you asked, you know, the initial question was, is it time to give up hope yet? That's one question. Another question is, is it time to recalibrate expectations? So you can pick the question that you want to answer or you can pick both. Um, but they are different questions. I almost see them as the same question. Like, if I'm going to give up hope, therefore, I'm then going to recalibrate my expectations. Like, one almost leads into the other. You can always hope, man. You can always <laughs> hope for something. Expectations is a different beast entirely. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm as reactionary as the rest of the people online. Expectations change per quarter per game you know like if, if Tatum has a poor first quarter which he often does it takes him a while to, to ramp up some momentum there I feel like my my impression of Tatum and his value to the team changes that rapidly so <laughs> that's just the nature of sports fandom right so yeah my expectations have not been probably I guess to answer your question in some way my expectations have been far more inconsistent throughout the course of this season than they have been in seasons prior I feel like they almost are dangling, you know, reasons to change your expectations or reasons to increase or decrease our levels of hope throughout the season. And a lot of that has been because of COVID and postponed games and, you know, Tatum. And we've now learned that he's still feeling the lingering effects of, of his, you know, COVID that he was out for two weeks with. Marcus Smart broke a guitar string in the back of his leg. Kemba is, you know, we've talked about that already. It's, it's hard to like nail down your expectations, right? And therefore, it's hard to maintain any level of hope. Does that answer your question? Does that well, resonate with you? Man, I'm, I don't want to get too, like, 
deep on you here, bro, but like <laughs> please hope let's dig. But like put simply, like hope is what might be. Expectations is what probably will be. And you've got they've got to be distinct categories in your head, man. Hmm. So like, you know, am I giving up hope? Hell no. Like I'd never give up hope on my like hope on my team. I mean, yeah, I look your hope is somewhat influenced by your expectations, but hope is like the best possible outcome, right? Yeah. Okay. Your expectations is the most likely. So, so you know, I, I definitely haven't given up hope at all. Um, I have very, very strong reasons to recalibrate expectations. Yeah. So I was what, just curious what your expectations were. It's a great, great question, Joe. Yeah. So I, I, I fundamentally, um, I guess I didn't think that the loss of Haywood seem to so because that's really all that we lost right i mean we lost, we lost wanamaker as well i suppose but like i gained jeff it's, everything's Sorry. so different <laughs> and even with those two guys and and haywood was out injured like for such a long period of time last year and i've been really surprised at how um poor we are defensively like we just seem so unimpactful defensively and Hayward going is the is really the only change, and and I I know Smart's been out, and it'll be better when he gets back, but it hasn't been right all year. It just hasn't been right, and that is what's causing my expectations to change a little bit. Because if we're mediocre defensively, like we're just always going to be sort of in these games because our offense is okay, and never and and only get over the hump half the time. Which is what's happening, you know. I think this this fourteen and fourteen record is very representative of who we are. I really do. So uh-huh. as a result, my expectations, like what I think is most likely, I think what's most likely is a is is probably a, a tough first round loss, like yeah. deep into the first round. That's what my expectations are, and that's a backward step, right, mm-hmm. relative to my expectations at the start of the year, and and I think. I'm sort of trying to calibrate my long-term expectations for Jalen and Jason. Who are they really? What sort of a duo are they? Are they type of guys that really impact winning, or are they? And as we've said in the in the chat, like are they like kind of Stackhouse and Hill, you know, the late two thousands Pistons, mm-hmm. like dynamic scorers, but and and teams of playoff teams, but not like not like the real real thing. Like I know I think Larry has a different perspective on it though. Joe, I was curious, uh, going into the season, how far did you expect the team to go? Um, you know, from a playoff perspective, did you think they were going to get to the finals, Eastern Conference finals again? Like, if you were going to peg it, what were you going to, what was your expectation heading in? Anything short of a very competitive second round loss was a disappointment. Okay. That's yeah. how, how about you, Ben? What, what was, what was yours? Uh, yeah, probably the same with, uh, I guess it comes back to the to the difference between expectations and, and hope. So definitely expected us to make the second round and be competitive in the second round. So very similar to Joe there. I hoped that both Jays would take a step up, Kemba would come back healthy, and the Teague and Thompson signings would uh, yield better results and, and that, that might birth us another Eastern Conference Finals challenge, but it doesn't seem to be going in that direction, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. If I was looking at what my expectations were, you know, we we came off a season where we played about, you know, we won forty eight games, but it was a shortened season, so it's about a fifty four win pace. And great math, argu- bro. We arguably, we arguably <laughs> math uh, respect from Joe there. <laughs> we arguably outperformed expectations. You know, we had we met the Bucks earlier in the playoffs, we probably would have lost in the second round last year. Um, so I, I do see the team as a contender last season and I see them a contender. I still see them as a contender. I see them as a team that should be competing for a chance to get to the Eastern conference finals. But I really felt like we blew a huge opportunity where everything aligned to us to potentially get to the finals last year. And that wasn't necessarily what I saw the team as, which is a, didn't see them as a team that could coast to the championship or coast to the finals. Like we got lucky that we had Miami as our draw and we, sh- you know, we should have beat them, but we, we really, really you know, I really, oh. really don't think, I don't really don't know if we really should have made the Eastern conference finals, to be honest. I mean, the, the, I, I would have guessed that it would have been bucks versus Raptors or something. And coming into this season with Brooklyn healthy and the bucks again, you know, bucks again, dangerous and the potential for other teams to get better. 
even without losing Hayward, I didn't think that making the Eastern Conference Finals was a lock. So from that perspective, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't expect that we we're going to be a, a lock to make the Eastern Conference Finals. And I thought, you know, second round more than likely, and I still feel like second round is more than likely. Um, I, I don't have, I, you know, just because we're 500 right now, that doesn't really reflect what I think we'll be at the end of the season. Um, you know, we've definitely lost, Joe, you brought it up, we lost Hayward. But I think everyone needs to keep reminding themselves that although Hayward was crucial in our abilities to to win regular regular season games, he played no part in either of our Eastern Conference Finals runs. Like literally no part. The first one he wasn't available at all, and the second one he played one game, and then we went to the Eastern Conference Finals without him, and he showed up on one leg in yep. the middle of it. So, I mean, if I'm looking at our team last season, it was about it. You know, in the playoffs, it was about eight man rotation, and everyone is still on the team. Other than we swapped out Wanamaker for Pritchard, which is upgrade. So, you know, if I'm just saying, like, once we actually tighten this rotation, you're going to have Tatum, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Kemba, Tice, Pritchard instead of Wanamaker, and then a couple other guys. We had Grant Williams and Semi both getting about 10 minutes in the playoffs. So, whoever's going to fill those the last couple roles, maybe it's Pritchard. Uh, sorry, maybe it's Neesmith. Maybe it's, maybe it's Semi. Maybe it's someone we acquire with a TPE. But this team still is the same team once you actually tighten up the rotation so i still think we'll be right in the mix of things yeah so if you had to rank all the teams in the league based on how likely their their fate is to change based on roster changes the celtics would be probably ranked number one right because of the potential looming with the traded player exception so keeping with the hopes versus expectations do you expect or hope that in a month or two's time we'll be talking about, holy shit, like we're amazing again. You know, suddenly our expectations have changed and, you know, we're looking for a definite Eastern Conference Finals berth. Do you hope for that to be the case or with the TPE looming, do you expect that to be the case? Um, Like, look, it's, <laughs> I was looking at the schedule and we've got a cupcake schedule for the next little bit, right? Like it's just totally possible that we could have just run off eight straight and the whole thing feels quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the how is really important, and I really dislike how we've been losing these games. You know, um, it's it's like it's so predictable. Like it's we get behind a little bit in the second quarter, and then about ten in the third, and then we close it back to five, and then we never really make up the difference. It's like there's no punch in this team. Yeah, you know, there's no run. The runs don't come right. We just kind of get behind and stay behind and trade buckets, and um. And, you know, we could, if we'd won similarly, like where you just kind of get a 10 point lead and kind of nurse it to the end, I think I'd feel better, but not, still not great about it. Like you want to start beating bad teams going away. You know, you want to, you want to step on the throat, you know? Um, And, um, and if we'd just kind of squeaked out eight wins, I think I'd still be tapping the alarm bell a little bit. Labo, from what you were saying earlier, it sounds like, you're pretty confident in that sort of top seven, top eight rotation. And then you factor in the TPE there. It sounds like you expect that in a month or two's time, we, we will be talking about how improved the team is. Is that, yeah, is maybe, that the case? Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm being like blindly optimistic. I'm not normally blindly optimistic, but I, I do feel like I slant towards realism. And I'm just like, if you look at the Eastern Conference right now, there's only five teams that are even 500. <laughs> like everyone we're in the fifth seed right now with a 500 record. Uh above us is Indiana, they're a game over 500. And then you have Philly, Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee. Philly, Brooklyn and Milwaukee were all the teams I was worried about heading into the season. They're still the teams I'm worried about. So I'm not really worried about a record. Like if any season if you're going to if you're going to experiment with your rotation and and showcase guys and and use time to actually develop players, like giving Neesmith 20 plus minutes the last three games, which is a great thing. This is a time to do it. Like I don't care. That, that's fine. We're going to end up in the fourth or fifth seed. Home court advantage isn't going to matter as much this season because nobody's even. Most of these teams aren't going to have crowds anyways. So it's fine. Like this is this is a season to, you know, this is a good thing. I feel like to to experiment and see what we have. But once once it's time to like to actually start to win games, and this is the biggest thing. Like this is the biggest thing is that I don't think most fans understand is like our main priority right now is not exclusively to win games it's not it really isn't our, we're not exclusively trying to win games right now we're trying to do a lot of stuff we're trying to showcase guys we're trying to give developmental minutes to javante green 
to see if we can trade him for a second rounder or give a couple minutes to Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters. You have no place in an NBA rotation, to be perfectly honest right now. But we're giving them minutes every once in a while anyways, because that's just what we are. We have to do to set ourselves up and do our due diligence. So, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I guess I, also, you know, we, we also need to make sure that we develop Jeff Teague, for example. Um, <laughs> we, we, don't Jeff want, Teague. we don't want to miss Teague. the... We don't- we don't want to miss the boat on Jeff Alpha League T. <laughs> well, this that's a perfect example of somewhere where it's like, okay, it's there's no reason to give Jeff Teague minutes after the trade deadline. Like, let's cut him out of the rotation and have Pritchard take all those minutes. And you know, I, I'd also be in favor of minimizing Thompson's role if he's still here after the trade deadline and giving more of those minutes to Time Lord. I I think there's a, a clear path to improving the team that I didn't think was here two years ago. I mean, and that's the difference to me. Yeah, well, look, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm probably a little bit more uh, pessimistic than, than you, Liber, but so this is good. I'm, I'm glad we do this each week because I need to hear the sort of the more optimistic takes uh, to sort of bring myself back up a little bit. And, and speaking of that, on the Jeff Teague front, last two games, so last game, I think it was a DNP, didn't play at all against the Nuggets. We won that game, no surprise. Uh, and sorry, I have to pause here. <laughs> Can we just celebrate the win against the Nuggets? If anyone has been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know how important a win against the motherfucking Devon Nuggets is to me. Uh, yes. My mate Dice, in shambles, so good. Like, if the Celtics were ever going to pull their heads out of their asses and just win one game in this brutal stretch, it had to be against the Nuggets. I was petrified. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm digressing here, but I just I had to pause it and just sort of tip the hat to, to that. But anyway, back to Jeff Teague. <laughs> Didn't play against the Nuggets. May not have played so much at all in the loss to the Hawks if it wasn't for the absence of Kemba Walker and the foul trouble of Peyton Pritchard. And unfortunately, Peyton Pritchard had five fouls early in the fourth quarter, which led to a heavy dose of Jeff Teague and subsequently a loss, unfortunately. I'm not just blaming Jeff Teague, but I'm also kind of just blaming Jeff Teague. Um, There are some promising signs there that that Brad Stevens is maybe more willing to um, partially or even fully cut him out of the rotation uh, altogether, which is great. I just want to zoom in a little bit here on the last couple of games. So a comment here by Leet Speak. I know we're missing Kemba Walker, Smart, and Tice, but this was such a winnable game, referring to the Hawks game. Uh, we better win on Friday again against the Hawks. We just look like shit. And then to follow up, user Air Mag Swag wrote, yeah, honestly, there isn't much to be said here. The guys on the floor show no heart, no grit, no Celtic pride. It's upsetting, honestly. Giving up 120 points is pretty shitty but that's where we are. You can say whatever cliche makes you feel better, but this roster is flawed and we are going to keep losing games until changes are are made. This team ain't it. I feel like we've thrown out some of the cliches (laughs) already. Um, So I I suppose we've already addressed some of Air Mag Swag's concerns here in in maybe why we're not such a winning team at the moment. Bird, you mentioned the the showcase side of things. is there a message aside from that that you would give to hopeless Celtics fans at this time to, you know, something to hold on to while we figure out what this team is and, and who we're showcasing and who we're potentially trading or acquiring? Well, or I should think they just mes- figure it out for yeah. themselves? No, no, I think the, the message there was, was spot on. I'm, we're, we were missing three of our starters and it's, a, it's a not a very deep team to begin with. So when you're missing three of your best players, you're going to probably struggle. Um, and then just like the inconsistency from night to night, which isn't all just showcasing. It's not just all like giving minutes and developing. It is also because we're, we have an injured team. I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's the easiest answer, but it's one we can't really like brush aside. I think someone mentioned that like the, the, the foursome of Brown, Tatum, Smart, and Kemba have played like 30 minutes or something together this season, like something extremely, extremely small. Yep, if you're gonna, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, assuming they actually get healthy, um, I, I thought we've seen some, you know, last couple couple games he didn't play, but I thought we've seen some progress from Kemba, which is great. And obviously smart is a key part of our team when it's, you know, lacking, a lacking talent at the moment. So those guys being out is pretty big. And that's how you end up getting someone like Teague, um, with the minutes. Like you'd asked me beforehand, what is the difference between the Nuggets and the Hawks game? And that was exactly my answer. The difference is that we started Javante Green and gave 31 minutes that went to Kemba to Grant Williams and Jeff Teague, <laughs> who didn't even get any playing time the night before. I mean, that's a huge difference in, in you know, minutes and, and roster. So that's my takeaway, at least. It's like, just just keep in mind, like, we're, we're depleted 
we're we're playing around for roster and uh and people are hurt and stuff see this is this is where we sort of part company a little bit like we've got (laughs) tatum and brown okay like this is why i'm struggling to place where what sort of players i think they are because yeah, we're depleted in that in the sense that sure, if we were matched up against the Bucks in the second round and Walker and Smart weren't available, I'd be like, yeah, you know what, that 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 has a big impact on our team. We're talking about like a flipping Wednesday night against the Hawks, right? Like at some point, like two all NBA guys are actually good enough to just drive regular season winning, unless they're not actually all NBA guys. And I keep going backwards and forwards on this because, you know. Sometimes it's really good, and they've got this history of having, having a lot of success at a young age, and then we've got this kind of a season to deal with, and it just doesn't compute. So, um, yeah, like that's like I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not that warm to the we're depleted excuse when we've got two apparently all NBA guys at you know at the two most important you know at the most important positions in the league, um, and yeah, it's just. It's something about this is just as like my fear is that it's just not stacking up, right? But I hope I'm wrong, you know. And and I'm, yeah. I'm still struggling to calibrate my actual expectations for these for these guys and what they are. So here's where I think the the Tatum and Brown situation is different this year to seasons past, and, and particularly compared to last year, where we had usually, if not both, a healthy Kemba and and Hayward, one or the other. So this is per cleaningtheglass.com. Jalen Brown is 95th percentile league-wide in usage rate. Tatum is 98th percentile league-wide in usage rate. And on top of that, their assist percentage, which is what percentage of their teammates made shots did they assist on, Jalen is in the 88th percentile, Tatum is in the 89th percentile. So that the usage in terms of just their having the ball, their scoring the ball, and their assisting their teammates in their own scoring of the ball is just insanely high overall. And like we, I feel like we're complaining about their their teammates or their colleagues, right? You know, I think that's where we need to, in my opinion, direct the focus in terms of criticism away from the Jays and, and maybe at their associates on the Celtics, if you will, because they are playing at a high usage rate. They're they're dishing the ball. They're you know their assists are up despite those teammates, um, but we're not winning games. So I, I do think we need additions around the Jays to, to be successful there. I don't think they're the, the, they should be the main target of criticism. Yeah, but I mean, another way to frame that, right, is <laughs> how really high in usage, right? They're using the ball and they're not doing it. You know, like, that. that's not, the fact that they've got a really high amount of usage doesn't absolve them of blame, you know, necessarily. Like, this is one of those cases where statistics can be used to prove op- opposing cases. But do you understand the point I'm making? It's like, if they're that good, why are we having, if they're, or if they're not good enough to handle it? Because if there's in the 98th percentile, there's someone in the 99th, right? Mm-hmm. There's someone in the 100th percentile. Yep. There's someone in the 90th percentile. They're those, so, and are those teams more successful, right? Is Chris Paul in the 95th percentile or something like that? If so, it's sort of just, it's, it's just, it's a data point that I'm using to kind of try and calculate where I think these guys are going to go. And I'm contrasting it with the fact that, I, like, I, my, my, my reflection on our run last year was that I think we would have beaten any of the other Eastern semifinalists except Milwaukee. I don't think we would have beaten them, right? I still think it's very diff. I still can't believe we lost to Miami at all. Um, so I don't see that as a fluke. That's another data point, right? And I'm just really struggling to reconcile those two right now. Yeah, so Danger Cart was on the podcast and um, last last time, and he, <laughs> I was there silently. He, yeah, thanks, <laughs> yeah, thanks for those extra questions, Joe. That was nice in the chat there while uh, Danger Cart was on. Thank you. Sorry, Larbird. <laughs> no, yeah, he. Uh, but he, his one of his point. I asked him that. I'm like, do you think they're both all NBA players? To your point, Joe, and he was pretty adamant that Tatum probably is. Brown's an All Star, but probably not an All NBA. I don't know if they are both All NBA players, to be honest. Um, and with the last 11 games prior to this, at least, Tatum really did seem like he was struggling with post-COVID symptoms that limited him and completely coincided with us going, you know, really struggling. But just, I mean, to your your point, Joe, even if they were both all-star, all-NBA players, 
I mean, that doesn't mean that your team's going to be great. You look at a team like the Wizards, they have Beal and Westbrook and they're 9-17, or look at Luka, they're under 500 right now with with Porzingis. I mean, there's there's a lot of teams right now that, in the, the you know, the Heat are under 500 as well, but <laughs> there's a lot of teams right now that are struggling despite having really good players. Just having two guys, um, I wouldn't say are struggling right now means they're not great. just means that right now, the guys we're playing with him, and then the way we're using everyone isn't really working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, look, the, the the truth somewhere in between these sort of polar positions we're staking out. Oh, wait, 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 John, right. here's, here's another one I forgot to mention. What about uh, the the great Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier? That's a couple All NBA players who are under five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Where was that when we needed it? That okay, is quick in a frustrating season. That is one of the most frustrating elements I can think of in recent memory. I just I needed to have a quick sidebar on this. Um, like I'm sure we all listen to Bill Simmons's podcast, and the revisionist history on the Terry Rozier decision is driving me up the wall. None of us wanted Rozier back. Yeah. None of us did. If you say you did, you are lying. We could not wait to have him gone. We were so happy. Good luck, Charlotte. Yeah. Enjoy your enjoy your. Enjoy your salary cap killing point guard. Do you remember he went on TV and, and like basically cussed out the Celtics, like his yeah. teammates and the organization? So, you know, Bill, I'm, I'm not a Bill Simmons hater. Like, he's part of the reason I'm a Celtics fan, huge part of it, right? But come on, man. Like, we all wanted him gone. Like, like Ainge made mistakes, but like not re-signing Terry Rozier was never for a moment considered to be one of them at the time. Not even close. Like I had queasy, I had queasiness in my guts about the Kyrie trade. Never for a second would I, I hesitated to to not resign Rosier. Anyway, I got some no, other stuff right. to cover about that pod. He he averaged nine points off the bench that season, and not efficiently. He Wasn't shot under forty percent. I mean, this season he's shooting fifty percent from the field, twenty points, forty five percent from three. He looks great, but yeah, I mean, that's it's ridiculous to say that that uh, that was a huge mistake at the time. Everyone was like, "That's insane that Charlotte's giving him money." And he's like he's older player too, right? It's not like he came in the in the league like as a first year. I think, I mean, he was at least a soft sophomore when he came in, right? Like he might have even been a junior. Like he's he, twenty six at the moment. He's not a young guy. He's not like young, young. You know what I mean? No. Um, yeah. yeah. Younger, younger than Marcus Smart. Other, younger than Kevin Walker. <laughs> this is a little bit apropos of nothing. I'm just going to hijack things for a second, but I do. Um, I just want to like. Give a little wrap over the knuckles to my close personal friend Kevin O'Connor. Oh, sure. For divulging the contents <laughs> of our private conversation, where I suggested to him that perhaps Al Horford could be a good candidate for the TPE, and I can't believe he just went and aired these intimate details of our chat with Bill Bloody Simmons. Ugh. That's how these guys get on I top, feel man. Betrayed. That's how these guys get on top. They prop themselves up on the shoulders of giants like yourself, Joe. <laughs> and uh, that's and how they succeed. Dude, Kevin O'Connor used to give me tips on my fantasy basketball team back in the old... <laughs> he used to do this uh, blog post every every year about draft. And I, I reached out to him and I was like, who should I draft for my keeper league? He was giving me hot tips, man. I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been a, a dominant champion without his help. So I'm a Kevin O'Connor, O'Connor fan, but I'll, clearly I'm not a close personal friend like Joe is. <laughs> no, no, we talk on the rig. <laughs> uh, strange times, very strange times. Um, I'm still pro that Al Horford thing. The more I think about it, the more I like it. By the way, I'm yeah, pro change. I'm pro change at this point, right? Let's, let's we got to change it up. I know that like we've got to showcase our our young talent. And it's not all about winning. Like, I agree with what you were saying earlier, La Bird. Um, but also, as a simple-minded fan, I, I like when we win. <laughs> I want to see us win. Uh, I know a lot of people feel that way. I know there's a um, you know, majority of Celtics fans out there, including Bill Simmons and his dad, Kevin O'Connor, all very frustrated at the moment. And uh, I'm feeling it too. Um, Marcus Smart, we mentioned earlier, he has been out. And there is definitely a correlation with the dip in our, um, not just our defense, but the the ticker, as you call it, Joe, in, in the team, particularly on the defensive end, but also at the moment where 28th in the league in assists. In fact, just to give you an idea of how bad we've been. So in the last seven games, so that's since the spirited victory over the Clippers, uh, this is per stats.nba.com, Celtics have the 24th ranked net rating, the 25th ranked offense, somehow still the 12th ranked defense, the second worst assist to turnover ratio in the league. Mm. 
and were 28th in assists. Now, Marcus Smart, uh, and this is me hopping over to cleaningtheglass.com again, uh, his assist to usage ratio, ratio. so that's, the, that's measured by how often did a player get an assist given how long they had the ball. Uh, so Smart is in the 90th percentile in assist to usage ratio in the league. Plus, he's an all NBA defender. What's that stat again? I like it. So, so assist to usage ratio, and it's measured by how often did a player get an assist given how long they had the ball. So it's a, right. I think it's a cleaning the glass exclusive. Um, so Good Ben stat. Ben Fork, I think his name is. Um, Smart is in the 90th percentile in the league, and he's also an all NBA defender. Our defense is down. Our assists are clearly down. We need this motherfucker back on the team. You're telling me he's better than Javante Green? I think he might be a little bit, yes. And <laughs> clearly, like uh, Scal mentioned on the call today, Javante, you know, he's busted a flat on a couple of those jumps off that left leg <laughs> on a few occasions now. If he's not doing that, what's he doing? But to his credit, he has splashed a couple of wide open threes, which he wasn't doing last year. So um, okay. I'm not too down on Javante, but um, point is, we need Marcus Smart back on the team. For sure. Yep, that's my I analysis. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just miss the guy. Like, we were starting to get a bit grumpy with him, but our lives are so much better when he's in them. They just are. Mm. Come back, Marcus. We love you. Joe, you were talking about how we're losing games and that's how, how that's become like a repetitive yeah. process. And you touched on the cadence of those losses, like when we're doing badly and, and, and when we're not fighting to, to recover from how badly we did earlier. So the second quarter is what you mentioned. What about technically, like defensively, offensively? What are you seeing or not seeing from the team that's causing us to, to lose games? Well, one thing that sort of got pointed out tonight on the broadcast that I, I probably agree with is um, I don't know how well switching's working for us. Like there was a there was a highlight that showed Pritchard, and I love Pritchard, and I love the effort he's given against big guys. But there was an awful one of him. He just like. He got caught behind, I think it was Capella, and he just kind of gave no effort. It was Capella or John Collins, I forget who, and he just kind of gave no effort to get around and try and, and try and impact that play. And um, it does seem like a lot of the time we've got really small guys trying to rebound, um, and I just don't know that we can afford necessarily to do that. Like, if you've got a bunch of guys, if Smart's your point guard and Tice is your... Um, entices your center then you can kind of switch a lot more but i just don't know that it's really working for us right now um for us it's always rebounding and it just seems to be this like i probably make this up like it probably happens to every team but it just feels like man any loose like 50 50 ball it just feels like nothing comes to us right now you know um and i i just feel like the ball finds sort of energy you know and it really feels like a lack of energy right now which is not technical analysis at all um, well, clearly Aaron Neesmith's an answer to our, our prayers there because yeah. he gave some offensive energy. rebounds lots of, lots of energy he's the cosmic Aero solution smart. to this problem this energy based <laughs> problem <laughs> yeah he, he really did. He helped. Um, yeah, so that, that's probably what I'm seeing. Um, but, it's, you know, the game actually turns on these funny things. Like I don't know if you guys noticed tonight. I felt like the game turned, and there's this particular moment in the second quarter. We were up, I want to say, by, I think we were up by three. We got the rebound. Two guys went after it. Neesmith went after it with his boundless energy. He caught it. He tried to bring it down. I think he dropped it onto the shoulder of Tristan Thompson. The ball came free. And then uh, one of the Hawks just came in and, and, and laid it up and yeah. in. And, and we kind of never, like, recover. Like, I honestly feel like games turn on those little points of carelessness so often. Um, so, yeah, um, that stuff just seems, I, I, I'm probably making it up, you know, like it's probably not reality, but it just feels like that stuff is just, it feels like we're on the wrong side of that ledger so often. Yeah, I um I agree. I, I feel like those moments stand out, but uh, our pick and roll defense. So against the Hawks tonight, the Trey Young, uh, Capella combination just shredded us, and Tristan Thompson just had no chance of containing Trey Young in the pick and roll. Brad Stevens he brought in Grant Williams like far too late into the game, in my opinion, to sort of address that and, and actually make a more um, switchable coverage to, to, to cover that pick and roll. But it, it was way too late at that point. But I feel like we watched Tristan Thompson just struggle with that coverage for, for three quarters tonight. And we've seen 
Similar combinations, CP3 and DeAndre Ayton, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, even Fox and Rashawn Holmes to a lesser extent. These elite, you know, point guard, dominant center, not dominant center, half decent center, pick and roll combinations destroy us and we just don't have the ability to cover them. And if we trap someone like a Trey Young or a CP3, we end up giving up a dunk because our rotations suck balls, and mm. you know none of our guys can recover and and you know um, and rotate and cover the uh, whoever receives the pass of the trapped point guard in this case. So there's a lot of defensive issues there that even with the return of Marcus Smart, I don't know if we can address that. It's it's more systematic, and you know Brad Stevens has addressed the lack of practice time, but I feel like that's something that impacts all teams. So. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I just feel like our defense sucks and I don't know if there's anything that we can do about it. And that's that's a big problem. And it goes beyond hustle and loose balls and, and, and things like that. I, I, it's a systemic issue that I'm, I'm worried about long term. Yeah. Um, it really does have, help to have somebody who can bust up a screen. Or at least it's, you know, we talk about impacting the ball um, like this. It's just a... We don't talk about it a lot, I suppose, but you hear it on the broadcast a lot, um, and it just feels like it's something so so obvious and untechnical, but it just feels like we just don't start trying until it's too late. You know, if I'm to try and diagnose it, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I might be, you know, sounding too overly optimistic. I do want to clarify that I don't think anyone outside of Tatum and Brown is an ideal fit next to them on this team i don't think it's the ideal personnel i mean my whole thing is just i I think that if we really wanted to just like grind away at 50 ish wins we could put together a really tight rotation and do it probably burn out brown and tatum in the process but but really i mean what i'm what i'm more saying is that like we do need to make a move at some point i I don't think that this this roster as is makes sense around those guys i think we definitely we have to fill roles but you know like had we just spent their first part of the season not giving any minutes to Pritchard and just playing Teague a lot and not giving any minutes, you know, any minutes to Neesmith, then, you know, we wouldn't really have any, you know, not playing Time Lord, just playing just Tyson and uh, and Robert, uh, sorry, Tyson and uh, Thompson. Then we wouldn't have gotten to look at these young guys and they wouldn't be gaining trade value. And, and like, that's the whole idea that we had to do. We had to, like, give minutes to guys like Grant Williams and see what they can do, even if playing Grant Williams isn't, ideal for anyone right now hey <laughs> i'm still sensitive i'm still a believer i'm still a grant williams believer i'm not saying you shouldn't be that i mean you should be a grant williams believer i mean that guy i i just did this like long post on reddit where i was like who are the expendable players on this mm. team good segue and, and i was and i mean I, if i'm looking at who i think our final uh our final rotation is I think Tyson and Time Lord are two bigs that I want, so I would see Thompson as the odd man out. Obviously, Teague, Teague isn't important with Pritchard getting better. I don't think that Teague's really anyone that's important. Edwards and Waters, I don't think they're important. I don't think that Semi, although Semi has made strides and I think he's a solid role player, I don't think he's necessarily essential if Neesmith and Langford can play at a high level later in the season. Um, so, I mean, if I'm looking at who I can upgrade who I can use to upgrade without really like feeling bad about it. Those are all the guys that I'd be willing to include. The only other guy that I had up there was, was Grant Williams and Grant Williams, I think is a, is an interesting prospect who might have a various ceiling, depending on how you look at him. I wouldn't feel happy about trading him. He's 22 years old. He could be a good player, but he's like, to me, he's like the, the real in between guy who, who could be good down the line, or he might just be a throw in. Like it's hard to really know with him. Yeah, so yeah. I wanted to touch on Neesmith a little more because he's kind of been, you know, if we're talking about, you know, pieces of hope, areas of hope to 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 cling on to, Aaron Neesmith has, has definitely been, you know, that for Celtics fans in the last three games or so. Does that change your opinion on how expendable he is? Is is it is it better that he's playing this well for our team uh, and for him to be on our team going forward? Or is it better that he's playing this well for his trade value? And does that question even make sense for for Neesmith in particular? Yes, it, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, my hope is that he can step into a role. I, I, I'm like strongly opposed to giving up any lottery pick 
midway through the rookie season. I mean, we went with we went through that with Joe Johnson and like Chauncey Billups and stuff. It's not that's not fun. So I mean, that's not to say that Neesmith will be a great player, but you know, there was people who were ready to give up on him when he had like the equivalent of like four basketball games. If he was on a bad team, if he was. Well, I, mean, I guess the Celtics are kind of a bad team right now, but if he was drafted on a team that was conventionally a bad team, like a, a Timberwolves or something, he probably would be getting like 25, 35 minutes per game, something like that, just out of the gate. Because it's like, yeah, he's a lotto pick and we have no one else. Let's just give him lots of minutes. And so people were ready to give up on him like 140 minutes into his career. It just seems crazy to me. Like you, you have to give that guy some developmental minutes. And, and like if you're going to base your evaluation on him of just the last three games, like if this was only for like this was his first three games of his entire career, you'd probably be like, all right, this is a promising young prospect. He's got a good, good motor. He like surprising, surprising hustle. I didn't think I'd see that kind of hustle out of him that we saw tonight. Going for offensive rebounding, uh, offensive rebounds. His shot, uh, he's only shooting like thirty something percent from three, but it's not terrible for a rookie. Like I would be, com- you know, completely comfortable with that if this was his first three games. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm not like overwhelmed by what I've seen, but it's been encouraging the last couple of games. If he um, if he runs around and and tries to grab every offensive rebound, you know, it's, um, it's probably going to help his cause a little bit. To be honest, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I think you know, the, really, um, he came in as a shooter, right? If he can shoot, he's like as advertised. He's valuable. If he doesn't shoot. Well, guess what? He's out of the league after his rookie contract, right? Like it's it's just as simple as that. Can he shoot? And um, we've there's only one way to find out, and that's to let the guy take a few shots. Um, and um, there are a couple times tonight actually on a fast break. I noticed one time Jalen he didn't see him. Um, yep. He was going to the left corner, stuff like that. That kind of annoys me for him a little bit, you know, because I actually want to see him take that shot. Like, yeah, it's yeah, I agree. That was frustrating. Yeah, I do love about Neesmith that his reaction to, and I'm sure the coaching staff have a lot to do with this, but his reaction to, oh, I suddenly can't shoot, is just to try extremely hard in every other facet of the game. And that has actually been impactful in, in the time that he's had and the increased time that he's had in the last few games. But um, yeah, you, you nailed it, Jay. Like, that shot has to come along. He's got to find that shot again. Uh, and I've said this before on this podcast, but if you look at his college highlights compared to his NBA minutes so far, the, the shot looks clunkier. It, it seems like there's a hitch in it or, I don't know, he's just slower to get it off. And I think a lot of that probably, obviously not knowing anything about what it's like to play in the NBA, but I would assume that a lot of it has to do with a, a lack of confidence and, and just general nerves going in. So um, hopefully he can develop a little bit of, of confidence off his stellar play in other facets of the game. Hopefully that translates over to his shot. but um. I think as long as we continue to be a showcase team, as as La Bird has, has put it, then we're going to continue to see a lot of Aaron Neesmith minutes, which is fine. I think we, we need to things to be hopeful for and to be happy about. I want to move on because there's been a lot of talk on, on Twitter and Celtics Reddit and, and all corners of the, the Celtics-based internet about Brad Stevens. I've got some comments here from the people of Celtics Reddit regarding the notion of firing Brad Stevens. No judgment to these folks or on these folks, everyone's entitled to an opinion and it can be cathartic to get them out when the team is as frustrating as they, they have been currently. Um, that said, so guys, I want to read off a couple of these comments on Brad Stevens to you and, and have you either defend Brad Stevens or agree with the comments or however you feel about them. So the first one is from Reddit user Brad Stevens, who writes, <laughs> what a fucking joke. Brad Stevens was this game, referring to the Hawks game. I get that we are down three starters, but the first half rotations were really good, inferring the second half rotations were not good at all. Comments there. Is it Brad Stevens to be criticized for how this game turned out? Yeah, I don't want to see Jeff T. <laughs> <laughs> but Pritchard had five fouls. Like, what's he going to yeah, do? Yeah, I'd play Pritchard, right? Like, guess what? You know what happens if he gets five fouls? He's out of the game, right? <laughs> do you know how else he gets out of the game? If you bench the bloody guy, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm, I'm I, I, you know. That's that's my position on on foul trouble generally. I I don't think I think it coaches let it influence their substitution patterns too much. Okay, love it. Um, yeah. Sorry, go there. No, I mean, I just feel like I'm just gonna keep repeating the same stuff. I mean, against the Wizard, we yeah, played yeah. we played 15 guys. I mean, if if this was the playoffs, would he be doing that? Probably not. I, I just don't think that 
I don't think that I mean, maybe I'm just maybe it's like a conspiracy theory. It sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I really do think that like Ainge and and Brad probably sit down and say, "All right, what is our what is our goals? We need to take a look at what we have, and let's just let's like tinker and play around and 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 see what we have." And that doesn't necessarily uh, directly correlate to immediate wins. So, you know, I thought Denver was interesting because Denver we we had DMPs to five guys. And and that's the kind of rotation that I would expect us to have come playoff time, and we won that game. Mm. I just think that's a big difference. Like the night the night before against the Wizards, we had 15 guys that we played. I mean, that's just not. I don't know if that's really on Brad. Like someone, I made the comment somewhere on Reddit where I was like, I don't know if I'd really do anything differently, and I don't know if I'd change much at least until March. I just think that like this is what you have to do. You have to keep giving guys minutes. And if that means, you know, giving 25 minutes to Grant one night and 25 minutes to Neesmith the next night. And then once Romeo comes back, you DMP someone to get Romeo minutes. Like I'm going to be pissed off if we don't give any minutes to Romeo when he comes back. We want to like, we definitely want to see what he is. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not like, that's not like a direct, you know, direct path to winning. Let's give Romeo Langford 25 minutes, but that's what we have to do. We have to give him 25 minutes just to see what he is. Yeah. Okay, so this one's a little bit more directed at Brad Stevens as a person. This is from CJ Mustard, who writes, Teams take on the personality of their coach. Brad is soft. The team is soft. He should just go coach kindergarten intramurals, <laughs> where, where his howdy-doody G. Willikers personality would be best served, and let us get a real leader of men at the helm. Uh, thoughts on this comment by CJ Mustard. <laughs> I've felt those feelings. (laughs) I just feel like we've been so we've been so spoiled by by Brad Stevens. I mean, we've had so much success that could be argued was major, major overachieving. Especially three seasons ago, where we had Brown and Tatum, no Kyrie, no Hayward, and went all the way to Eastern Conference Finals. In a large part because we have a great coach, and I just think that people are like they set their expectations really high after something like that, and forget that. The expectations were very, very, very low, and Brad surpassed them. So it's like, remember that. Remember that we surpassed those expectations. That doesn't now mean that, oh, yeah, well, we made the Eastern Conference Finals with with a couple 19-year-olds. That means that we're an Eastern Conference Finals team. No, I mean, we overachieved. Like, I mean, that's my take on it. I, I, I think Brad's a great coach. I just think that, uh, you know, he's a, the coach is an easy scapegoat. Yeah. Joe, anything to add? No, I, you know, I think, I think, it, though my sentiments are have been very similar, you know, in the lizard brain at least, they're very similar. Um, I agree with Larry. Ultimately, like we, we do have to remember we exceeded expectations for like five straight years, and then we had eighteen, nineteen, you know, and then we had last year where we, we, we exceeded expectations slightly. Doesn't mean the guy's without fault, though. It's the same as Ainge, right? Like, Ainge's got some blemishes on the resume, but like ultimately, man, like, the Celtics have been a really fun team to cheer for because of being well-managed and coached for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. That, there was that first playoff run that we had where we were actually actively trying to tank, and, and like, Danny Ainge was pretty oh, yeah. much... He kept, like, dropping hints that we were trying to tank. To get Justice kept, Winslow, who yeah, the well, heat got exactly, that bloody exactly. every time. They, they, like everyone in, in the, like the larger media scape at that time was like, Boston doesn't have a single starter on their entire team. There's not a single starting caliber player on that entire team. And somehow Brad, in large part because we traded for Isaiah and he, you know, surpassed expectations off our bench that season. We made the playoffs. It was just like he, he, he makes the most out of very little, and then people forget that we made the most out of very little. And I would expect that once the playoffs come around, we're going to surprise people again and go way further than people expect us to. Mm. So this one's from user NotOneFuck. They write, this game was 100% on Brad's lineups. The players who were doing well were sat for players who were playing like shit. Javante Green, Grant Williams, and Jeff Teague all did not deserve the minutes they were given. Also, while Thompson made some nice plays offensively, he was absolutely massacred on defense, like we mentioned earlier, all game but yet still had way more minutes than Robert Williams. So I'm going to add a question to the end of this comment because we've talked about the rotations already. What do you think the justification is for Brad Stevens playing Tristan Thompson way more minutes than he plays Rob Williams? 
<laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I'd say it, that that reminds me of the whole Mark Blount Kendrick Perkins thing. Like I'm I'm definitely in, on the on the sh- wow. On the, Dick Cut. <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. in the yeah the camp that's like yeah we're just we're feeding Thompson minutes. I really want to see Robert get more. I think I think Mike, Mike and Scal were talking about that tonight as well. They're like really want to see Robert get some more minutes. Um, I don't know what is the justification. Are we just trying to keep Thompson's trade value up to a certain? level prior to the trade deadline I, I wouldn't rule that out i mean that was what we did with blount really i mean that's exactly what we do with blount we kept giving him minutes until we could trade him in theory thompson um can hang a little bit on the perimeter um is a lot stronger what to me the williams's big minus is he's just kind of light in the bum and um <laughs> he doesn't really own his space down there very well um thompson <laughs> is in theory a lot better than that, right? So um, in theory, Thompson should help to rectify some of the um, the lack of ticket issues, but it just doesn't seem to be translating that much. I feel like all our, our best moments come with Tice on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Tice is center, you know? Scal kind of alluded to that tonight too. He was like kind of, I got the vibe from him. Like, I don't know, I mean, I was reading between the lines, but he had made some comments that like, there's still concern that if they give too much to to um to Time Lord that he just will stop having the same level of effort. Like effort's still right. a concern with him. So it's like they don't want to just give him thirty minutes right now. They want to make sure that he pays his dues and you know, that's did you hear that part? I mean that was yeah. just a kind of comment that Scal made it yeah, at yeah. some point. Yeah, it made a lot of sense actually, because you want the incentive for him there, right? His his energy that he brings off the bench is such an, such an important factor and to take that away from him and the team I, I think would be huge. So I hadn't considered that. So that was that was interesting to hear today. Got one more comment here from those concerned about Brad Stevens. This is from user for Zareem. They write Trey and Gallo are two of the worst defenders in the NBA. Did it feel as though the Celtics were going at them? No, it did not. I know. Uh, I don't know what our offense was trying to do, but it wasn't doing it, and our defense was even worse. Brad, this year as a coach, has been like Blake Griffin as a player—a sudden and deep drop off. Um, without repeating anything we've already addressed here, guys, is, is any response you've got for for Zareen here on that comment, particularly the Blake Griffin comparison? Well, I mean, it's. Sometimes I think that sort of analysis smells a little simplistic. It might not be. I might be being a bit unfair there, but um, I th- I'm more inclined to take note of something that Scal said, which is like, hey, we're trying to attack with a high pick and roll all the time. We need to get the ball going side to side a little more. And I kind of agree with that. And and Scal's comment, like, I just attack Trey Young, is something you would do in a high pick and roll. And Because one of the things I feel like offensively is holding us up is just our, our, our speed of play. Like, I just feel like we're not playing quick enough. Um, and when you go mismatch hunting, I've never liked it when we start going mismatch hunting. It just, it tends to result in in the team kind of losing its mojo. Um, it's not, it's, it, you know, it hasn't been the identity of this team when it's been successful. So I'm going to give Brad a pass on that. All right. So just to wrap the, the whole Brad Stevens should be fired thing up, there was a post by Willis. <laughs> 0502 Reddit. Uh, it was a good time to post this, I thought, because the, the title of the post was, if we fired Brad, who would we want as a coach? And I'm not going to read off any comments from that post, but if you go and look in there, there, there are zero suggestions. as like There's literally no name put forward <laughs> as to who we could hire as a better coach, only that the question was put, how many teams would immediately fire their coaches in order to hire Brad Stevens as a replacement coach? Yeah. So, so that kind of sums up the whole thing. I think you mentioned earlier, Brad Stevens is an easy scapegoat given the current, you know, crisis with the team and everything. But um, I just I don't think that's the the solution at this point. No one's going to come in. I'm not going to bring in, you know, Kenny Atkinson or whatever his name is and, and expect a, a better result. So yeah, yeah, Kenny Atkinson is going to step in and suddenly Javante Green and <laughs> Grant Williams are going to be superstars. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's silly. Yeah. So. Normally, this is where we'd cut to the miscellaneous section of this podcast. I have no notes at this point because I've just been feeling too dreary based on the, re- the recent results of this team, aside from the Nuggets win, which has been, you know, incredible. Any any other points you guys want to bring up before we wrap this one up? 
Nah, man. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> We're tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Taste Like Honey Nut, who points out that the only time he's ever received Reddit gold is for saying Larbird 33 is a cunt. <laughs> I just, just want to let him know that I'm the one who gave him Reddit gold, and you're welcome. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that exchange. Yeah. Nice guy. Nice guy. Um, all right. He's not that's- wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, re- I responded to that person and said, look, the internet is full of c**ts, but what do you want us to do? Just like clear all the c**ts out of the way so you can have a good time? It's not how it works. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. defending, defending me. I appreciate it, buddy. I'm just defending the, the c**ts of the internet. I'm one of them at times. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've, we've... <laughs> good place <laughs> to wrap to, it up. Yeah. I'm going to have to put the explicit stamp on, uh, on this podcast. That's fine. <laughs> That's going to do it for this one. Thank you for Your tuning mom, in. Mum, don't listen to this one. Yeah. Hi, hi Joe's mum. I don't think she's ever listened. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to support the pod, the best way is just to subscribe on whatever platform you use for your podcast. And if you're feeling very generous, leave us a nice rating and review. The Celtics have the Hawks, Pelicans, and Mavericks coming up this week. All super winnable games under normal circumstances. So we'll see how that goes and we'll be back in a week or so to break it all down Joe Larbird love your work guys thanks again thanks a lot and first person to leave a reddit comment that Larbird33 gets scolded from me so interact with us leave us comments we want to hear from you we want to hear from the fans we do we do All right. until next time folks go Celtics peace peace